Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is The Mummy. The Mummy. 1999, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Because why the fuck would you do any other mummy movie? What is the point? <laughs> um, okay, Frida, how are you this week? Do you have any, do you have any follow up science from our last episode? Follow-ups is academia is, well, I would say this one statement that I don't know enough about how it all works. Academia, I admit, I've done a bad job. And and mentoring is really important. Yeah. (laughs) Not just, you know, because it's nice to know other women in science. They don't even have to be women, but because it's such a weird <laughs> world in a in a funny bubble that doesn't mm. operate under the same rules as the rest of the world, <laughs> as in like, wow, I'm good at this. I'm going to get a job for it. It's not. It's just not. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> Mentoring is really important. Yeah, definitely. You need someone to be like, do these things by next week, and then these things by next month like yeah and that's the level of guidance i think yeah set up like a plan and a kind of like these are the stages that you need to kind of work through to you know because i guess we we have it to a certain degree when we do our undergrad and when we do our phd but then once you get to like postdoc position it's kind of like okay go be scientist <laughs> it's like well <laughs> okay let's move on let's move into this movie we're talking the mummy and this is oh because we like i mean this is coming out it was halloween last week so i mean we're in the midst of our zombie mini series but we had to have i had to have something semi zombie like so this is a science light episode let's be real <laughs> it's super zombie i i saw such yes. a good thing written about the mummy where they called it they, they called the movie lightning in a bottle like it captured lightning in a bottle <laughs> that none of the other films in the franchise managed to do, but no, the first one. Yeah. Special. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay, well, look, let me give a quick little summary. And I say a quick little summary because somebody, yet again, forgot to write one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to wing it a bit. <laughs> okay. It's 1925 and mummies are the currency. Grave robbing in Africa is the top pastime for the European and American elite. Rick, or hero, has fled the culture wars, but he gets pickpocketed by a rich Brit and then turned by some pretty eyes, convincing him to take the trip back to Hamanaptra. On the way, they meet other characters that we will talk about later, because I cannot remember their names. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out, shit. <laughs> On the way, chaos ensues, shenanigans. <laughs> Evie is our heroine, female scholar, trying to stick it to the Bembridge boys, as she heads to Hamanaptra to look for the Book of the Dead. When they reach 
the ancient city of the dead, shit gets real. People touch stuff they shouldn't touch and a mummy comes to life. And basically that's the whole movie. (laughs) We have to say also who the beginning of like, who's the mummy? Because there's this flashback in the beginning. Imhotep. Yeah. (laughs) The priest who, who, who was having an affair with the pharaoh's mistress and the pharaoh's mistress. We don't mistress need to herself. explain this. Everyone oh, has seen this movie. This. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. Well, that's, we'll talk about that in our best scenes then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this movie is beyond beloved it's one of my favorite (laughs) movies of all time like it's one of those ones that i just watch over and over and over again because it just brings me so much joy and so much comfort i just love it really yeah i i love it i mean i don't i haven't never i haven't watched it since i watched it like this was the first time i watched it since way back yeah like i i i mean it's like i could admire yeah I could admire how fun it is, um, <laughs> but I definitely it wasn't a movie that I returned to over and over and over again. I did. I think it the, just wasn't. Well, I think the thing is like so. So this is something you will not know about me. I have always been a little bit obsessed with Egyptology, and when I was deciding what to do <laughs> before I applied to study physics and moved to the UK, the year before that, I applied to the UK to study Egyptology. Oh my God. <laughs> and honestly, um, what's more, I mean, I know you're Irish, but I'm just saying like, what is more British than Egyptology? <laughs> it's the most <laughs> colonial thing in the world. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, we <laughs> have just like this We have movie. to immediately remove me from the colonial comments immediately. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> but this whole movie, watching this whole movie and just like the... I have comments. I'll save okay, it yeah, later. Yeah, okay, okay. I'll save it All later. Right. Cast comments in general. Do you have anyone in particular that you want to pick out cast comment wise? I mean, okay. I think that definitely all of them, but also yeah. <laughs> Rachel Weiss. She's just, to me, she's such a Jewish princess. Like... <laughs> She's just so special. Of she's such a Jewish lady. Like she's short and she's like loud and she's got like pretty eyes. And to me, like she's just like a such an icon. And not just me. Like other Jewish, other like Ashkenazi Jewish girls. Like Rachel Wise is just so special. And it's funny because like before she married Daniel Craig, she married a Jewish guy, and we were like, yay! And I remember I think she did an interview where she was like, she knows people cult follow her a little bit she's like i didn't like purposely marry a jewish person it wasn't just happened like and we were like boo and then she married daniel craig and we're like boo anyway we're just a bit obsessed with her culturally she's just the best that's my rachel wife okay that's fair gosh i i adore her not for the same reasons but you know (laughs) she's so jewish looking She's like as pretty as you could be as a Jewish. Do you know lady. what? It's really funny because I wouldn't know, like, I wouldn't be able to say, like, I couldn't look at her and go, she looks Jewish. I just know. But 
it's such a weird thing that we all have in terms of like our cultures. Like I can look at someone walking on the street and go Irish and people will be like, how do you know? I'm like, I just know. I can just see it. I can see yeah. it in their face. I just know. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> it's important to see yourself reflected on film. It's yeah. so important. <laughs> who, who do you want to highlight? Oh, the, I have another oh. person just in particular, but. I'll I'll sort of go to you and we can go back yeah, and forth. Yeah, well, like, I love, I mean, of course, um, I mean, I, everyone, I really enjoy everyone in it, but I do have to bring up Ahmed Jalili um, because <laughs> I just think he's one of the funniest people. I think I need reminding who he is. Is he the guy who is... He's the warden. The, oh. Warden Hassan. Oh wait, the guy with the with the bl- black veils and everything. The no. guy when when them he he's the guy who has Rick in prison. Oh, oh, the guy that that they bribe in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the guy that they he bribe. He knows the location in, to Hamanacha. You lie. I would never. Oh yeah, <laughs> that hanging scene. Oh, later. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy's great. So yeah, yeah, that was it. I just, I just love him. His stand-up comedy never. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who would you? Uh, any others you'd like to bring up? Yeah, Arnold Vosloo, if Obviously, that's how I pronounce so. his name, as Imhotep. Yeah. Like, what a classic face. <laughs> what, what has yeah. he been in after that? Blood Diamond. Yeah. yeah, I remember him popping up in Blood Diamond again and a bunch of other random crap. But yeah, he's the mummy. Like I have much. seen him in other stuff. Where he is good, like it's not, it's not that. It's just that this is like his kind of, I guess, iconic role. And then they went and they tried to remake the Mummy recently with Tom fucking. Cru- like, what were you doing? And they tried to make it this dark, like dark universe thing, and it was just the worst thing I've seen. It was pointless, stupid. Do not fuck with the original. <laughs> Okay, my okay, so my favorite sequence leads us into um my favorite character that we will talk about. Uh one of my favorite sequences is it's when they're fighting the mummy priests, like Imhotep's priests. And all those mummies are just so slow and so stupid. And there's one whole sequence in particular and it's Rick is like trying to fight them off and like there's a there's a mummy arm crawling towards a sword there's another guy trying to get at him and there's one guy just really slowly walking towards him (laughs) with like a huge slab of some inscription just ready to drop it and it's just (laughs) it's just so beautifully done because it's hilarious and so stupid but still like action i don't know how they managed it but i just absolutely adore that whole sequence <laughs> the sequence when he cuts the leg off and it was yeah like, that did it he grabs the mummy's hand it. as soon as mummy's hand gets the sword he grabs the mummy's hand and uses that and it's like legend <laughs> uh, speaking of the legend the legend that is rick o'connell and as honest trailers themselves said rick's armed with the ultimate Superpower being Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I love him so much. That whole sequence of the fighting sequence is like if I could um just have that in my memory like bit <laughs> like shot by shot. 
because it's all so good. Like the moves that he does, and there's one point where he he swings from something, <laughs> from something, <laughs> swings across and like kicks a thing, and it's just like dun 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 dun. dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, yeah, none of this makes any sense. I love it. <laughs> Well, it is our fun Just, movie. I didn't say it was our accurate movie, so. <laughs> We're talking about mummies for fuck's sake. Could, How do we feel be about better. Brendan Fraser? It just couldn't be better. Although there's one one qualm I have. Oh, sorry, I'm just going Frida's about to shit on Brendan Fraser and I'm going to jump through the screen. No, 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 no. There's there's one one character issue that I have that kind of is, is just a little bit annoying is when, when you first meet him and he's, a, he's about to be hanged and he's acting like, you know, terrible. And then you meet him and he's like, oh, that was just because I was going to be hanged. Like, I'm nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to introduce his character and we'd be like, we hate him. And then Obviously. we want to be like, actually, we love him. That's know, exactly so how like- all 90s, she's the pretty princess <laughs> and he's the scruffy commoner. Like, this is how all 90s movies work. <laughs> yeah, and then we see him showered and we're like, Ooh. Yeah, now she's like, but, oh, yeah. oh my God. Ooh. That's another reason why it's lightning <gasps> in a bottle. Because it's that whole thing as well. Yeah. It's like, you, I hate you. You disgust me. Or do you actually? <laughs> okay, so right. Okay, so we need to talk about Benny. Aside from all of his, like the whole way through, we we can see that Benny is like a little scavenger dude. <laughs> like Benny, Benny is out for whoever can get him where he wants to be. Um, like he's gonna pay him. And the best scene for Benny is that moment where he is standing there with all of his religious symbols around his neck, <laughs> lifting up. Each one calling out, trying to get the attention. And then, Frida, there is a moment that happens and a statement is made. And now, are the Jews correct? All right, welcome to my segment, Are the Jews Correct in this movie? Classic saying, first of all, I like that that's supposed to be the symbol that, like, we don't trust this guy. He doesn't stick to one religion. But I was like, practical guy. Yeah. In hindsight. Exactly. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) So he holds all these these symbols. And I love that he has a Buddhist one. He's speaking Chinese. There's a, I guess it's a, I don't know what the first one was. I suppose he's speaking Arabic. And then he brings the Star of David and he starts praying in Hebrew. And the mummy's like, the language of the slaves and he starts speaking hebrew the language of the slaves and then you know that's for some reason he's like a slave once helped me classic trope so <laughs> so yeah were the jews ever slaves in egypt it's such a classic it's classic because you know every single year on passover that's what we celebrate is the jews being free from slaves and we and we go. We were slaves. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and uh-huh. um, and it's been a thing for me where I was like, "Were we ever slaves?" I don't want to really look at this because no, no. <laughs> I don't want to do this. It, I don't want to come on. Were we slaves? And you know what? There's no, there's just no evidence that the Jews were ever slaves in Egypt, unfortunately. And I saw uh, there's a pretty good article on this. Um, and it's actually from like an Israeli newspaper, classic. Um, 
And this is just a quote. For decades now, most researchers have agreed that there is no evidence to suggest that the Exodus narrative reflects a specific historical event. Rather, it is an origin myth for the Jewish people that has been constructed, redacted, written, and rewritten over centuries to include multiple layers of traditions, experiences, and memories from a host of different sources and time periods. Hey. That's pretty intense. Yeah, I, I don't know how to react to this because I feel like you just shat in your own culture and I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> so let's leave the section. Um, that was my section. Um, were the Jews correct in this movie? All right. And that was, are the Jews correct? You know, like Maimonides or Baruch Spinoza. Good job. <laughs> Awkwardly moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <sighs> so stressful. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know what to say. <sighs> it's stressful. <gasps> we talk about it every year. We sit around and say <laughs> stories. Uh, we tell stories about banshees. It's fine. There we go. People think leprechauns exist. Come on. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Benny. Right. So (laughs) we'll move on from Benny. Benny's, Benny gets his comeuppance at the end, which is actually quite satisfying. (laughs) And a little bit terrifying, like the idea of being locked in. in Oh my God. (laughs) It's horrific. The worst way to die. Seriously. All right. uh, I might be being a bit harsh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, I want to talk themes, apparently, because that's the section that we do. But, I mean, what's the theme of this movie? Mummies. Mummies. Egypt, mummies. Grave robbing. Get, and getting, getting your comeuppance. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> do you have anything more you would like to say about the themes of this movie, Frida? No. Okay. Moving swiftly along. <laughs> Trope of the week. Frida, what is your trope? My trope is this. What have we done? <laughs> yeah, that's for Jonathan Hyde, Dr. Alan Chamberlain. Yeah, when, you know, he's he's like awful. A woman? What would a woman do? Yeah. But, and then, you know, as soon as shit, go, shit gets real, he just is, he just makes that classic, what have I done? <laughs> so so bad you must not read from the book (laughs) (laughs) that's great that was my trope (laughs) what's your trope okay so my trope is what i have titled the qualified sacrifice it's our death sacrificing himself for rick and it's like our death mate you are of the magi you are the protectors. You are the most qualified person in the room right now who is supposed to like be able to get rid of the mummy and protect everyone from it. But you're sacrificing yourself for the American with the pistol. It's just- well. <laughs> 
it's just such a movie thing yeah that's the thing it's just such a movie thing it's like we've got the like really qualified dude over here but he's going to sacrifice himself so that like it's your fucking like no (laughs) he's part of a brotherhood that's been doing this for three thousand years what it is is it's i can't do it this is your thing (laughs) sorry (laughs) not me not ron not no no can you do it please (laughs) not me not Hermione. you (laughs) (laughs) come on all right okay right we're gonna get into our science section apparently (laughs) science environment so I did actually lay out a technically a science environment here because it is the absolute classic that is an archaeological expedition to Egypt in the 20s because it was all the rage. Now, in the movie, they are searching for Hamanaptra, a fictional city of the dead depicted as an ancient burial site for the sons of pharaohs. Now, Hamanaptra was not a real place, but it was probably a loose representation of Wadi al-Muluk, the Valley of the Kings. Which, if you've watched any documentary about Egypt, you should know what that is. I've never watched a documentary on Egypt. I don't know what that is. Okay. (laughs) I love that you love this topic, though. That's classic. Oh, my God. Okay. In my mind, I'm just like, everybody knows what the Valley of the Kings is. What? I'm now really excited. (laughs) Okay. So, not all pharaohs were buried in massive public monuments. From around 1539 to 1075 BC, the Valley of the Kings near Luxor became a hidden burial ground packed full of underground mausoleums for royals such as Tutankhamun, Ramses II and Seti I, or Seti I I guess, um, which is the pharaoh that's depicted in the movie in the opening sequence. The pharaoh who Imhotep is uh, doing the dirty with his lady. So, Mm. queens and high priests were also buried at the Valley of the Kings, and there have been 63 tombs discovered to date in this region of Egypt, with the first expeditions starting sometime in the 1700s and up to early mid-1800s, it was basically just grave robbing. Later, in the 18th century, attempts were made to preserve rather than just take with the formation of the Egyptian Antiquities Service. Now, don't be fooled, this was not formed by Egyptians attempting to preserve their history. This was Europeans making theft seem more noble. And I say European, it appeared to mostly be French and British. And then in 1922, the tomb of Tutankhamun was discovered by Howard Carter, one of the most famous and extravagant discoveries. And it was also the last mummy found in the Valley of the Kings. A tomb was found in 2005, but there was no mummy. There were sarcophagi, though. What are you- just just to make it clear, a sarcophagus is the the casing. Yeah. It's the, the the thing that paints on the outside of the sleeping kind of yeah. figure. Yes. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on like our historical obsession with like Egyptian tombs mm. and this whole like excavation? Like, I understand the idea of es- excavating towns and relics to understand our history, 
But like disrupting a grave site feels really unethical yes, to me. Say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just quickly. I think that it's, it's the most colonial thing. I mm. think that um, people's own culture, bar none, preserve the dead in their resting place. I don't know of a culture that doesn't respect that. Right. So there's a lot of excavation by Jewish people in Israel for like to historical Jewish sites. Um, dead people to disturb them and to put them in a museum. You would never do that in your own culture. That is only something you do to another culture. And I think it's like that's the most colonial yeah. thing is to disturb land, disturb the dead, and then like, you, you know, then maybe go and use a land. And now, um, Aboriginal people in Australia, there's so many Aboriginal people that have been put in museums and Aboriginal people. I mean, every, yeah, like no no culture is like an exception to this. There's now such an effort to return all of those bodies back to their resting places. It's become now a thing that people are like, wait a fucking second. This is insane. So that's that's the thing that's how I feel because like, Really changing. I think the problem is that, like, there's some people who are just like, oh, it's just history. It's historical significance. But it, to me, it's just so massively intrusive. And there's yeah, a people. really famous um, Egyptologist who is Egyptian. Zahi Hawass. Yes, that's the one. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I love Google. Uh, Zahi Hawass. There we are. Oh, now I've just seen the rise and fall. And rise. Let's find these up again. It's okay, we can talk about it. <laughs> but basically, like, he's this... So there's this well-known um, Egyptologist called Zaki Huas. And he just had a statement that I read somewhere that I thought was really interesting, where he said that he doesn't believe that mummies... So he kind of believes it a little bit. He's made some statements about curses and things like that, which are a bit like, no, do chill. But he doesn't believe that mummies should be displayed, which... Yes, of course, I agree with. But he kind of sees it as the lesser of two evils because he feels like it's better to have them displayed in a museum than to have people going into the tomb. I don't know about uh, that, but I just think like that's kind of his, that's what what he's kind of come out with. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I can kind of see that point if we take the point that even if you put them back into the resting places, people would want to go in and see them. But then that's the thing. It's like, why do we want to go in and see them? At the end of the day, it's a dead person. Yeah. I mean, uh, mummification is interesting. I'm sure you're going to explain that to me later. But, I mean, there's many reasons why he could have said that. I mean, like, it's like he's also in this, like, big institution that's dominated by a certain way of thinking. I mean, like, yeah. maybe he changed his mind at some point, but it, it it's doesn't just, have to be but either one or the other. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's interesting, this argument between preservation and just curiosity. Yeah. And, and, and is there a point where, like, respect... Or, or is it just because, like, there's this scientist approach, so it's it's no longer the person is dead. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in the religious rites that l- were the basis for mummification. So, therefore, to them, it's like, oh, this is a historical artifact that's of interest. I don't know. I just find it, yeah, I just find it weird because it's like you said, though. It's like you, you only do it to somebody else's culture. You don't do it to your own. 100%. Yeah, it's a bit mad. 100%. 
Okay. It's mad. Let's talk a little bit about, so (laughs) this is our scientists. And by scientists, I'm just talking about Evie. Now, Mm. Evie is a librarian, but she's in this, like, in reality, in the time and the situation, she is a scholar. And now the movie mentions the Bembridge Scholars, but I can't find any real group by this title. (laughs) I love how she's continuously, I was like, you know, they've made it up, but it's like, take that Bembridge Scholars. (laughs) Well, this thing, there was a Bembridge School for Boys in the Isle of Wight, which was founded in 1919, but there doesn't appear to have been any like special scholarly group associated with them that she would have been like applying to. But there definitely would have been groups like this at that time, scholarly groups that women would have been excluded from. So what I want to talk about for a second is like what kind of Evie's role is and the role of women in academia in the 20s. Because she would be like an academic librarian from what she's doing in Egypt in in that library. She is a specialist subject. Uh, She can read hieroglyphs. She's understands the culture and the history more than anyone else who's there. But so it seems to me she's a bit more like a museum curator type of role mm. in this position. And in England, I'm saying England because in the movie, she's obviously British uh, working in Cairo. But women were only first permitted to work in libraries in 1870. Did you know that? Oh my God, they weren't even allowed to work in libraries because that's become such a thing. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Isn't it so weird? Like I just kind of mentally, and it's not intentional, but I think of librarians as female. But like (laughs) when libraries, just like any other like institution of this type that was about education, women were not allowed to be a part of it. And... There is a line in the movie about how she was only given the job because her parents were their biggest patrons. And this is something that I think is really true to the time period about women in education and academia. Because for the most part, women were not permitted to attend university or they could be allowed to attend university, but not be awarded a degree. And it was kind of like amusing the rich girl is how it worked because you could only go there if you were of a high enough class in society that it was acceptable Mm -hmm. for you to be able to go for your own amusement. And so I think it's really believable that you would have a highly intelligent and capable woman who only got her position because of her family's money. How do you feel about this whole women in academia time period and Evie as a character? It's interesting, like that librarianism is the is the only way that she could have a way into scholarship. But being a librarian is we we put it down a lot, but it's you have to study very hard to be a librarian. Even these days, I met a couple of people who are training to be librarians, and it is mm. very very difficult, and you have to have a lot of knowledge. But I like that she would have just been classed as like bookish. She's like bookish mm. and like dowdy, you know, that would have been the category, but she's actually just a scholar. Yeah. It's interesting that she has to be slated in that position because of the time and place. Time. That's the thing. And you're so right about librarians and especially nowadays when we have like 
like especially in academia when you've got all these journals and you've got all these online resources and as well and things like like librarianship is um it's an actual degree it's a master's degree and in a lot of places it's also a phd is required before you can be a librarian i think in germany particularly particularly like an academic you can't be an academic librarian without a phd which kind of makes sense because like if you're going to specialize in the kind of like archiving of a fucking entire subject you want to know about that subject right yeah like everything so brilliant that's evie basically she is an Egyptologist, just not by title, because she was a woman. And that's that's how it rolled back in the 20s. That's how it was. So let's talk. Uh, okay, let's get into the science. Should we get into the science, she says. I'm so excited. For, I'm just, well, that, you know what? It is We science. laugh, but there's a lot of interesting stuff. A lot. Yeah. Well, and so I, can't wait I to had hear to I had to look this up beforehand because I was like, because we have talked about archaeology before in Jurassic Park, and I was like, like archaeology is a science, like it's not, it's not. You might think humanities, but it is a science. Um, so we're justified. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Now, also just just to just to make sure, I pulled out a couple of like little little random random facts about um Egypt Egypt and Egyptians. So it's kind of science, but it is a history. Maybe it's a bit of both. Number one. <laughs> number one random fact. Pharaoh was not the title used at the time. This was a modern thing in the Hebrew Bible. And quite beautifully, the ruler was thought of as the protector of the people and could be a man or a woman and didn't necessarily have to be from Egypt. Oh, back in the day. Just thought that was kind of nice. Hebrew Bible. I just, I just thought it was interesting. It was like for them at that time in these like ancient dynasties of Egypt, the ruler was man, woman, Egyptian, not Egyptian, but they were just they were the protector of the people, and that's what mm-hmm. was important. Wouldn't it be nice yeah. if we all thought like that in the world? <laughs> Fucking hell! All right. Interesting fact number two, but which is actually some science for you. Egyptians created measurement mathematics by devising a unit of measurement called the cubit. The cubit was the distance from the elbow to the fingertips, and it's how they were able to create geometric structures. Yeah, the Egyptians invented maths. That's what I was always told growing up. Yeah. They invented maths. Was it like specifically algebra? No, maybe. Um, I don't know the answer. Maybe, but anyway, yeah, I was I was always told that they invented like numbers as well. Like that's such a crazy oh, thing. Yeah. Like it's the cubit. There's, the cubit is like a unit of measurement. I know that, that was they the thing. Like invented. they created this unit of measurement so that, and then that was how they were able to like then make make these structures like the pyramids because they were like, oh, now we've got a unit of measurement and this is this is how we can plan this stuff i guess <laughs> it's just mad so when you like think back to it when you really think about it, like this like fucking what jesus four thousand years ago these things are made and like these days i i don't know i need to be driven with my shopping bags fucking hell 
Right. Random fact number three. Uh, the Egyptians are responsible for measuring time. They combined maths、oh. and astronomy and are the ones who broke the day up into 24 hours. And they then created a solar calendar that contained 365 days in one year. No way.、Mm. Um, I thought, yeah, so I always thought our calendar is called the Gregorian calendar. Yeah, but I think that's the, the What time. What does that mean? I think the Gregorian calendar is dependent on the time period when it starts. I know,、yeah. that, the, I know that the Islam calendar is slightly different. So that、mm. what the year in Islam is different to what the year is in what we call the Gregorian calendar. But we follow the same,、yeah. like, hours in the day and, and days in the year, solar calendar、mm. thing. So, so they, yeah, they separated the day and then made it、yeah. up the year. And then, like, what year we started counting from and the names of the months, that's more like the Gregorian calendar. It's amazing. So, wait, what did you say the Gregorian calendar was? No, I'm just saying our modern calendar of like January, February,、yeah. March, April, and the fact that it's 2021, like that would be more、yes. the Gregorian calendar. But that they invented the actual idea that the Year is made up of 365 days. Yeah, they follow. Yeah, they follow the. So, yeah, it's just that classic thing of ancient like astronomers staring at the sky and being like, oh, well, the sun follows this pattern. So let's turn it into a thing. Right. We're going to get into let's let's get some let's get some uh some some meatiness going. Hey, hey. Mummification. <laughs> Tell me everything. I want to know it all. Right now, I, well, I was going to say, what do you know about mummification? But let's just let's just move past that. <laughs> okay. Well, I know the nose is something pulling the brain、yeah. out the nose. I learned that a little bit, but yeah. Well, come on, give it, give it. Okay,、all. let's start with the purpose. Okay, so the purpose of mummification was to preserve the body because it was believed that their soul would reanimate the body in the afterlife. And now we've all heard about the treasures and pets being buried with their masters. But when it came to the rulers of Egypt, it was believed that after death they became gods. But they still, for some reason, needed all of their earthly crap in order to live in the afterlife. And so a tomb was set to contain everything that you would need in the afterlife. And, like, which is pretty much everything you have in this life. So rulers were entombed with their beloved pets, money, Treasured artifacts, but also food, drink, furniture, even underwear. Everything that they would possibly need to survive in, <laughs> in, the, in their afterlife. So I want to know, Frida, what would you be buried with? <gasps> wow, what a good question. Oh my God. It's like, like, what would I need to live? Versus, like, what would I want to take with me to the afterlife? Feels like different questions. Yeah, it's, it's like if you, if you, if、like、the、cleanser. afterlife was supposed to be a continuation of your life,、yeah. what would have to be yeah, in I, your tomb? Oh, <laughs>、uh, yeah. So, antihistamines, my cleanser. <laughs> I would definitely have to take clean squares because I use like clean squares to wash my face every day. I can't go anywhere without them.、Um, you know, my pills, <laughs> my, um, What else? I, 
Yeah, definitely clean squares to wash my face and my cleanser and then my moisturizer. Like I can't go anywhere without those and probably some gentle cleanser, QV or something like that (laughs) for my body and then moisturizer because my skin gets really dry. So I I take moisturizer with me everywhere. I think those are my most important things. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Uh, I need a lot of coffee, a lot of tea. Um, Tea, yeah. Probably, I guess I would need like, you know, electronics. My phone charger for sure. Phone charger. <laughs> like you said, pills. Like I need my thyroxine. Well, what are you going to do? My pills, my pills. <laughs> oh God, well, it's notebooks. Oh my God, I can't live my life without a notebook. <laughs> Gotta have a, a notebook. Pen. Notebook and a pen, yeah. A good pen. <laughs> good pen. Yeah, my headphones. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, they, they would be my, they would be my, immediate requirements i would think mm. okay we're, we're very different for me it's all my cleanser <laughs> no oh it's, no like, wait oh, no wait. wait i agree with you i would need the moisturizer as well because my skin gets cleanser. dry yeah so i need a lot of moisturizer yeah <laughs> right well the problem with being buried with all of your worldly goods is that it's kind of like a big come and get them to grave robbers <laughs> so now <laughs> I really wanted to do a section on booby traps in the ancient tombs, Frida. Like, I really wanted to sit here and read you all these booby traps in ancient tombs. But the thing is, there were none. They just didn't do this. I know. Like, the most that was done was that over time, the tombs became larger and more involved to attempt to deter thieves. So they made walls that were like meters thick of mud bricks so that thieves couldn't tunnel through them. They made false passages that ended in blockages to try to confuse people as to where the entrance might be. And once the burial took place, they had these like sliding stone portcullises that would seal entrances so you couldn't just like knock the door down to get in. But unfortunately, there was no pressurized salt acid protecting sarcophagi. Sorry to disappoint. God damn it. And on that note, just the just the diggers, the sort of like the <gasps> Sherpa kind of Stop. thing where they go like send in the send in these Yeah. When they that was the, that as well, like that was the that was the moment where I was like, I'm really okay with all of you getting getting deaded in this movie when they were like, No, let the diggers open it. Like you fucking breaks. Yeah, and they're like just these nameless, faceless people that are like, oh, oh, oh. They yeah. like don't even say words. Like it's so bad. <laughs> right. Terrible. Okay, so in ancient Egyptian times, this is what the process okay. was. This this is what the oh, religious can't, can't process was. Was this idea that you need to be mummified with all of your worldly possessions and protected and preserved in this tomb in order for you to proceed into the afterlife. And the mummification process is vitally important because they needed to ensure that the body itself was preserved so that the soul could reanimate it. And the best way to preserve the body is to remove all moisture and decaying items. The process right. of mummification took 70 days to complete. And it was a step-by-step <gasps> production of embalming, treating and wrapping, as well as performing rituals and prayers along the way. 70 days, that's what, like two months, two and a half months? 
That's crazy. Uh, those people must have been, th- that would have been a great job. An embalmer. Well, in Egypt. so this Egypt. was a she thing. Would have never it, been out of work. It really depended yeah. on like, it obviously depended on money, like how well the mummification process was was done and achieved after death dependent so obviously like pharaohs and things like that had a lot of money a lot of priests because this was all done by priests um in order for them to like perform the rites as as uh as be- as well as they can so like early on steps of mummification processes wouldn't have been as refined until they got a bit okay. later on uh so step one Remove all internal parts of the body that would decay quickly. So, as as you might have hinted, they used a hooked instrument to pull out brain tissue through the nose. Now, it's not kind of like it hooks in and the brain just like comes out in a big slurp. They basically are just using it like a little carving thing to just carve out the brain tissue and to just pull it down out through the nose. Frida oh looks upset. Oh my god! <laughs> they would then. Yeah, but it's like so gross and kind of great. <laughs> this is, this is the listening. shit you love. I know it. Come on. <laughs> so they would then cut on the left side of the abdomen, and through that cut, remove all the internal organs of the torso, preserving them in canopic. Sorry, preserving them in. Canopic, gar- why can't I say that word? Canopic, preserving them in canopic jars to be buried with the mummy. But they believed the heart was the centre of a person's being and intelligence, so they would leave their heart in place. Like, uh, <laughs> the heart can't this decay. make any sense. <laughs> and anyway, there's other comments I have, but yeah. Next up, moisture removal. (laughs) They would cover the body with a type of salt called natron, also placing packets inside the now body cavity to suck all of the moisture out. So they're basically like making salt cod. (laughs) Like salting pork belly. (laughs) So... They would wait, like, once the body then is completely dried out, they'd remove the natron and lightly wash the body. They then need to fill out any sunken areas of the body with, like, bits of linen and padding and add some false eyes before then carefully and methodically wrapping the entire body in hundreds of yards of linen. Okay, there's the mummy bit. During the wrapping process, they would include amulets among the wrappings and they'd write prayers and magical words on some of the strips in order to protect the dead. They'd also place a mask of the person's face between the wrappings on the head. And at stages throughout this wrapping procedure, the mummy would be coated in a warm resin and then finally, and then like wrapping would continue, coat, wrapping, you know. As we do with furniture. Uh, sorry, did not say wow. that. So they they end then with a final shroud or a cloth that is secured with linen strips. And that is your mummy. The entire thing begs the question is like, how could they resurrect if, I mean, if there was resurrection? Mm. 
It's funny because it's the exact opposite to the Jewish way because the Jewish way is like, leave it exactly as it yeah, is, don't, don't change don't anything. Change. Otherwise, they can't resurrect. <laughs> it's obviously yeah. decay. And then you're like, stop decay. Take all their organs yeah. out and embalm them so they can resurrect. It's like, guys, no one's resurrecting. It is interesting because it's like, yeah, exactly. If the soul reanimates the body, I, do you mean that – that's exactly what it is that it's just the soul goes in and then the mummy's just standing up and it's just the this dry is like oh <laughs> yeah. yeah or are you saying that the soul returns all of these attributes to the body i don't know it's interesting yeah which one is it guys who but I, I mean, if, if it's if it's what the first one that you said then i guess it makes sense that there's becomes the mummy myth because yeah. it would be just a, a zombie a mindless do they at least leave the brain stem? <laughs> Joking. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's yeah, it's it was a very very religious procedure, and that's why I think like this idea of the booby traps and and things like that is it's the booby traps are we imagine that because of movies like this and Indiana Jones and things like that, where it's, you know, like, oh, we're burying treasure and we don't want people to get to it. But you you have to kind of think as well that at that time period and given what, what it was and that it was done by priests and priests then were supposed to guard the tomb and preserve the, preserve the tomb after the fact too. It seems like they just didn't occur to them that people would desecrate a tomb like they knew people would they knew grave robbers were a thing they knew people would come in and take treasure if they could but for the most part it wasn't about like oh let's create all these like little intricate things to try to trap people or or get them it was just like no people will respect the dead and we've all learned that we don't do that so you know but the mummy process itself is that's that's what, so basically that's the mummification process that's you know how the mummy is created the one that goes into the tomb and is then set ready to go to be reanimated and enter the afterlife do we think that there are other methods of mummification such as what they depict in the movie which is the hum die which is mummification alive basically i think they said in the movie i think they say that they they mummify imhotep's priests alive and then they wrap imhotep in the coffin with the scarabs which is supposed to keep him like somewhat juicy forever and what 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 did they do um before they wrapped him did they just wrap him straight or was they just he, wrapped did him. something happen to him they just wrapped him yeah I'm sure everything and anything could happened, no? I mean, I'm sure over the years some shit went down like this. What do you reckon? Uh, no, totally fake. Oh, fuck it. Saz. Egyptians Ugh. had a huge amount of respect for the mummification process and the afterlife, and there are no records anywhere to suggest that they would have ever used it as a form of torture. Because... oh. Well, I mean, when you really think about it, like the whole process was to preserve your body to allow you to continue on. So why would you, like the the torturous thing, I guess, would be to not mummify somebody because you're basically saying you can't go into the afterlife now because we've not performed that religious rite on you. 
Yeah, yeah, I will not do this thing to your body. Yeah. yeah. And it's... Yeah, okay, interesting. It's a thing that they always say as well with this movie, which is, like, such a good point. <laughs> it's basically like, you're the bad guy. We're going to, like, we're going to torture you and uh, punish you by giving you superpowers? Making you immortal? <laughs> uh, I know, what? yeah, that's funny. <laughs> They're like, this is the curse, and should he ever be... <laughs> Should he ever be disturbed? Which of course he will never be disturbed. Ah, what? He'll become more powerful. Madness. But of course he would never be disturbed. <laughs> yeah. I know, it doesn't make loads of sense. They kind of butcher the whole culture and then make some Yeah. But this yeah. is such a classic movie thing as well, isn't it? It's like, oh we'll just, you know that that's that's the classic curse thing. You're cursed to suffer and suffer and suffer until somebody accidentally releases you and then you're just all powerful. Because all that bad I- Juju is in you. <laughs> I took it to mean like this is such a horrible thing that they do and somehow the scarabs keep him juicy. Okay. This is such a terrible thing that they do to somebody that they go, when you do something so terrible to somebody, their spirit has such a vengeance. Yeah. And of course it doesn't go on because it hasn't been correctly mummified that it comes back to haunt us. It's sort of like more the the like the fact that you're doing something so bad yeah. to somebody they're going to come back and haunt us if it should ever be opened. I kind of get the logic. Yeah. I kind of get the logic. His rage. Well, as you said, of. yeah, he's so he's put into this sarcophagi with these scarab beetles with the idea and they're they're kind of depicted as flesh eating but that they can for some somehow survive thousands of years in this sarcophagi where he seems like he's only just been buried because they're still feeding on him and they feed on a bunch of people in the movie so do you think that there are flesh-eating scarabs in egypt that are going to overtake your body and num 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 you to fleshy gooeyness i love it when, when they overtake the guy on the bridge yeah it's a good one He's like immediately like that. Yet yeah, this guy's been there for 3,000 years. <laughs> Still juicy. Whatever. Um, I, I think that there isn't. But if there are flesh-eating bugs, they probably leave like – it's probably such a small rash yeah. or something. Well, yeah. scarab beetles are like very, very important in Egyptian culture, in G- Egyptian like ancient Egyptian culture. They're a symbol of Kepri, which is the early morning manifestation of the sun god Ra. And so Egyptians held them as a sacred species and they used to make amulets and seals in their impression. So yeah, it makes sense that they would be on the objects, like that you would find um, amulets or little, God, why can't I think of the word? Inscriptions of scarabs, like just, or little decorations and such Mm -hmm. and heart scarabs would have been depicted in amulets that would have protected the mummies so they would be in the wrappings but flesh eating scarab beetles are not a thing not scarabs there is a type of flesh eating beetle called the um sorry called dermestidus i can't say words today there is a type of flesh-eating beetle called dermestids, but they only eat dead or decaying flesh. So they're not going to strip your flesh if they crawl all over you. They'll actually just crawl. They'll just crawl over you. They won't eat you at all. But you'll see them. You'll see them in forensic shows on TV, 
where they are used to like clean the bones. Oh my God. Um, I like that this movie just, I don't like it, but it just butchers everything associated with Egypt. <laughs> like make up a weird scarab. <laughs> They're like, fuck with mummification. Just... And yet it's so good. Well, that's the thing. It's, to- yeah, you know, like we love it, but it's wrong. It's all wrong. But anyway. We'll, we'll be anyway. okay with it. So, this, so the harm die and being mummified alive and sealed in a sarcophagus with a batch of never dying flesh eating scarabs is not a real thing. It is very much so a movie curse. But Frida, where do we get the ideas for the curse of the mummy? Or just a general idea that the mummy can come back or the that- general, the general curse of the mummy or just... I feel like it's when white people heard about it and then they went, oh, and then they imagined <laughs> that, that that sort of feels like, yeah, my answer is when white people heard about mummying. I mean, you're pretty right, like for the most part. Now, okay. like some of the walls in Giza and Saqqara were actually inscribed with curses, but these curses were actually directed at the priests that were tasked with the protection and the preservation of the tomb. Basically saying, if you fail to do your job, you're going to be threatened with divine retribution or death by scorpions or snakes. Um, But curses etched on tombs were by no means common. Uh, However, there is one that I do want to read. And this is apparently from the tomb of Ken... This is apparently from the tomb of Kentika Aikeki, which is the 9th to 10th dynasty. And it contains an inscription... Which goes as follows. As for all men who shall enter this my tomb, impure, there will be judgment. An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. I mean, that sounds like a mummy. That sounds like a mummy to me, man. Oh, it's just trying to scare people. But that's the thing. That's all they were doing. Like, it's just, it's just this idea that it's not necessarily the idea that the, the person who is buried is going to come and get you. It's just the idea that it's so, like, spiritually or so religiously wrong to desecrate the tomb that you will, like, have a horror, like, meet a horrible end mm. for doing so. Yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't be the need for that if there weren't so many grave robbers. So the idea exactly. that they might have created mythology around that to deter people from disturbing graves, just to give people enough doubt, yeah. <laughs> you know, to maybe. But like not. I said, this was like these inscriptions and things like this on on tombs in Egypt. Considering how many of them have been unearthed, are very rare. And your estimate is more accurate because with all the grave robbing that the Europeans were up to, it wasn't long before there were tales depicting the mummy come to life to get his revenge leading to the creation of new myths and curses. And these were like live shows that happened in London where they would do like live unwrapping of the mummy and then it becomes like, oh my God, the mummy's going to come and kill us. And it's like, well, yeah, you should be scared because... I know, I love that. Yes, I was just go- yes, I was just going to say, like, I love that it becomes like, that's so... They're they're so evil. <laughs> like there's what's this like generations of people that just like desecrate graves and 
rob it and put it in a museum for everyone to take their children to see and then go like, ooh, I was going to get you. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? It's like it says that there's Amazing. something in your mind, like there's something in the mind of these people that says, we know that this is wrong and we're going to be punished for it. And that mummy is going to come to life and come and get us for having, you know, done this to them kind of thing. They're going to take their revenge is like what they kind of like to picture it as. But it's very much a story that that kind of got told more modern in more modern times rather than historically. And the most famous mummy's curse and the most likely originator for what we know from TV and movies is, of course, the curse of Tutankhamun. The story goes that members of the expedition died terrible deaths within a decade of opening the burial chamber, falling victim Ah. to the curse inscribed on the tomb. In reality, nothing much actually happened. There was no inscription of a curse on the tomb. And of the 26 people present when Tutankhamun's burial chamber was opened, only six died within a decade. Lord Carnivoran had gotten blood poisoning from an infection. Gould died from a fever because, I don't know, it was the 20s. AC Mace died five years later of pleurisy and pneumonia again, the 20s. Carter's secretary died seven years later of suspected smothering, murdered. Like, he was murdered by a human. He was murdered. And Carter himself didn't die until 16 years later from Hodgkin's disease. So, those elementals have a funny way (laughs) of enacting a curse in a super mundane and normal way, biding their time. Not very curse of the mummy. Cancer. (laughs) It's mad though, because it's like, this is what the idea is. There's this all sensationalist story told about, and I think it's because of how quickly Lord Carnarvon, I can't say his fucking name, the patron dude, how quickly he died after the, like, the opening of the tomb. And then I think it just got into the press and the papers really went for it because it was such a big discovery as well. So it's like all kind of coincided into this big idea that like, wow, it's it's the curse of the mummy. Yeah. And then we had the movies yeah, and, it, and, it and the is. books and stories. and It's because people yeah. know that it's a shitty thing to do as well. Yeah. yeah it's like you said. Uh, That's yeah. why. Because people are like, we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> well. We absolutely shouldn't be doing this. And thankfully, there does seem to be a push in more recent times to drive this um, re redistribution of these discoveries and send these objects home. I myself remember being in the Louvre and seeing a mummy. And I remember being fascinated so much by all this like Egyptian culture and being really excited to get to go to the section of the Louvre. And then I remember seeing the mummy and just feeling like, this is so super wrong. (laughs) This is, I am not okay with this. This is a person. This was a person and they were buried and they were supposed to be at rest. And now they're an exhibit And whether you think it's science or 
history or just cultural significance is up to you. But I don't know. I just don't think you're going to go and dig up your grandma's tomb, are you? Leave the dead alone. Yeah. It probably does. It wouldn't occur to anybody at any time that we'll end up being a civilization which will end up disappearing. And then in many years' time, people will uncover like evidence that we existed. It just doesn't cross anyone's mind when they bury their dead. But that could be us in you yeah, know, a thousand years. That's the thing. Exactly. And this is and why I think what we happened. All... What did people die of? What were the diseases? Like, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. true. And. And there is there is a level of of course of historical interest, but we do also have to recognize that as as you said at the top of this show at the top of this episode, um, we don't do it to our own culture. So let's send the shit back to where it belongs. Basically, yeah, and that's the mummy. It sure is. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's what it hollywood says the mummy is <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's good stuff but yeah they butcher it don't mm. they <laughs> uh so we are moving into what the fuck frida Woohoo! what all right what the okay what is your what the fuck yeah that they touch everything with their hands Firstly, the map that they first they touching the map like with their bare hands. They like put their hands all over it, okay, and then they just touch everything. <laughs> they touch everything, and even her, the librarian, she's like touching everything. There's no gloves, nothing. <laughs> that was the twenties. What did the they fuck? used to do this? <laughs> do they understand about gloves then? Or putting the map underneath the thing, and they're like, oh, it caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. <laughs> I don't know. Do they know about gloves in the twenties? <laughs> I think they. <laughs> women wore gloves. Probably everyone wore gloves because things were gross. <laughs> I love the things that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, it's just funny. What was your what the fuck? Uh, my what the fuck is when I can't remember the character's name, but the when the mummy is first brought to life and he finds the dude and he takes his eyes and his tongue. And Evie is standing there and the mummy comes towards Evie because he thinks like, oh, it's a nux and a nux and a moon. I can't speak. A nux and a moon. <laughs> and, um, and the guy is lying on the floor and Evie's like, please help me. Please don't leave me. <laughs> like the dude just had his eyes and tongue taken out. He has no idea what's going on. He can't see anywhere. He's completely incapacitated and you think he's going to save you. What the fuck? He is sort of um, turning his back, was facing, and you know, and he's sort of standing there. Kind of reminds me of yeah. the Blair Witch Project right at the end with a guy in the corner. It's very creepy. <laughs> he's sort of, it's very creepy. Yeah. And she's like, please help. That was it. Anyway, that was mine. Yeah. <laughs> please don't leave me. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you think he's going to do for you right now? Come on, lady. <laughs> uh, 20s. Do you know, we can't say that anymore because we're also in the 20s. Now we actually have to say 1920s, Frida. We can't just say it was the 20s. It was the 1920s. Oh, fair How depressing enough. is that? 
What did I saw something? I either saw something or it was on TV. I can't remember what it was. Where somebody, it might have been a tweet, fuck knows. Somebody basically just said that the most depressing thing that's happened to them recently is they heard some kids refer to the, <laughs> referring to uh, the 1900s. <laughs> oh, that happened in the 1900s. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Oh. <laughs> Because the 1900s to me are, is 1900 until 1910. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, God, the 1900s. Isn't that so upsetting? Like we used to say the 1800s, yeah. the 1700s. Literally is the 1900s. But, but by the way, that's when you can't figure out the century thing because it's like later yeah. than the, the number. Yeah, that's when you as – that, that's the thing where you're like 18, 17 – fuck it. It's the 1800s. <laughs> Just say 20th century, motherfucker. Seriously. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's move on to final verdicts then. (laughs) It does it pass the (laughs) the Sam's test. test. No. No. There's one woman in the whole movie. Okay. Did it pass? Here comes the science. There really is, isn't there? There really is one woman in the entire (laughs) movie. Like, that was acceptable not very long ago. (laughs) Okay. Uh, science. No. no. Of course not. Not even a bit. There's no, there's like, no. It's just all of it, all of it. It's total fake, but I'm okay with it. I don't care. I love this movie. All right. What so final is verdict, your final verdict? I, How many my... mummies? Yeah. And so the movies where, where it's bad and I hate it, I get resentful and give it one star or no stars. So this one I'm giving two and a half stars. And that's I feel like that's very fair. I think that's a very Thank fair you. number. Because as a movie, I adore it. And if you're just saying to me, like, you know, give it, give it a, give it a score as a movie, I would give it a way higher score. But we are science at the movies. uh, So (laughs) I can't, considering the fact that we know that there is no real history, archaeology in this. So (laughs) I'm going to go with you at 2.5. 2.5 for the movie, minus 2.5 for the non-science accuracy yeah i think we're being fair <laughs> two it would be too low i don't want to be resentful because i like it yeah but it's funny it's just weird that we like this because it's it just commits so many crimes <laughs> it really is lightning in a bottle it yeah. commits every crime and we just watch it we're like eh. <laughs> because it has brendan Fraser, and that's all that matters yes. <laughs> at the yeah, end of the so day good. That's what's important, and I'm okay with it. So, Frida, next movie. All right, I'm ready for a proper movie. We've done a lot of um, comfort comfort movies one after the other. So I'm ready to do a movie that will have science, that we will have to really think about. And the movie is Primer. Oh, finally. Are we ready for Primer? I knew. This one has been on on our list for a long time. And I purposely have been like, that's going to be a Frida movie. (laughs) I have avoided it. And I've been waiting for when you were going to pick it. I can't wait. It's the the engineer people that, like, that's what they say. Oh, do Primer, Primer, Primer. So it'll be... One for the nerds. Such a nerd movie. Excellent. 
Awesome. Okay, well, then that will be in two weeks' time. Uh, so please do come and join us. And next week is episode something of our zombie mini series. <laughs> it's episode, episode two, something of something. It? It's episode two? two. So it's Zombie Land. Zombie Land. Yeah, yes. That's a okay. fun one. That's a fun one. Okay, so join us for Zombie Land next week and in two weeks' time, Primer. In the meantime, if you would like to get in contact with us, send us your recommendations, movies that you would like us to cover. We're very open. Uh, you can email us on science at the movies at gmail.com or you can catch us on Instagram at We'll do anything. The movies. We'll do Not anything. <laughs> She's lying. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.